Connected by purpose, driven by passion. This is Children's Healthcare Canada's Spark Conversations podcast series. Welcome to Spark Conversations, Children's Healthcare Canada's monthly podcast series. At the crossroads of children's healthcare, system improvement, and leadership, Spark Conversations is a solution-focused podcast that connects the child and youth health community with system leaders who tackle wicked problems and discuss ideas to inform the development of innovative and integrated systems serving children and youth. Spark Conversations is one component of our Spark Knowledge Mobilization Program. Spark is the shared platform for advocacy, research, and knowledge. I'm Dr. Catherine Smart, and today I'm absolutely delighted to be speaking with a personal hero of mine, Dr. Cindy Blackstock. Cindy is the Executive Director and Co-Founder of the First Nations Child and Family Care and Society of Canada. Associate Professor and Director of First Nations Children's Action Research and Education Service at the University of Alberta and Professor in McGill's School of Social Work. As a nationally and internationally respected advocate for the rights of Indigenous children and a member of the Gitson First Nation, Cindy has 25 years of social work experience in child protection and Indigenous children's rights. Further, her research spans the identification and remediation of structural inequalities affecting First Nations children, youth, and families. As an author of over 50 publications and a widely sought-after public speaker, Cindy has collaborated with other Indigenous leaders to assist the United Nations Committee on the Rights of the Child in the development and adoption of a general comment on the rights of Indigenous children. Recently, she also worked with Indigenous Young People, UNICEF, and the United Nations Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues to produce a youth-friendly version of the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of the Child. Her promotion of culturally-based and evidence-informed solutions has been recognized by the Noble Women's Initiative, the Aboriginal Achievement Foundation, Frontline Defenders, and many others. Today, we are chatting about an extremely important topic, Indigenous Children's Health, Hello, Cindy, and welcome to Spark Conversations. Hey, thank you, Catherine. Nice to be here. As an internationally recognized First Nations scholar and child welfare expert, you have been the driving force behind promoting reconciliation to ensure culturally based equity for First Nations children and families. Your leadership has been absolutely inspirational, and your steadfast moral courage has set the tone for all of us to put our children first and to fight for the inequalities faced by First Nations children in Canada. You have been a trusted champion of First Nations children's rights for over a decade and shown us the power of creating new pathways which demand justice and a mindset that values true equality of funding, education, and service for all children without exception. So I've got a few questions for you, Cindy, and, and as a pediatrician who works in Canada's north and is, is very fortunate to work with many First Nations families and communities, I'm really excited to, to learn from you today and, and get your thoughts so my first question is, how can non-Indigenous healthcare professionals like myself who work in pediatrics and work in First Nations communities promote reconciliation and ensure culturally based equity and care for First Nations children and families? Well, thanks, Catherine. I think one of the first things is to understand where these inequalities come from. And a lot of folks um, aren't aware that the federal government funds First Nations children's services on reserve and in the Yukon Territory. And since Confederation, they have funded them at lesser levels. Everything from basics like water and sanitation to education, early childhood and child welfare. 
and health services. And so you have these compound inequalities that pile up on the hopes and dreams of families that are still trying to recover from the multi-generational impacts of residential school. So where can you learn more about this kind of stuff? Well, you can go onto our website. We've got lots of information sheets on something called the Spirit Bear Plan, which is the antidote to all these inequalities, basically calling on government to uh, remedy, uh, cost out the inequalities and remedy them, like treat kids fairly for the first time since Confederation. Second, of course, read the executive summaries, even if you're short on time, of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and the Murdered and Missing Indigenous Women and Girls, and look at the child-focused um, calls to action or calls to justice. And another big one, of course, is in your practice is learn about Jordan's principle. Uh, Jordan's principle is about making sure that First Nations children have access to the public services they need when they need them. So you as a physician, if you see an unmet need of a First Nations child, you can write a recommendation for that child with the parent's consent. And you can even call Jordan's principal directly at 1-855-JP-CHILD. That's 1-855-JP-CHILD. And get funding for health-related support for a child. It could be an educational support or something like this respite even for the home. Um, And get that funded through Jordan's principal. So that's number one in your practice. And the other is kind of help us out advocating um, for culturally based services for First Nations kids from coast to coast uh, and look to your local communities to see what their priorities are. Thank you for that. I, I think it's so critical that people understand the structural inequalities, as you've outlined. I think that's so key to understand that history. And and as you've said, for me, uh, Jordan's principles has been absolutely transformative in my uh, ability to deliver care to my patients in the Yukon. And I uh, re- email with them regularly. They're very responsive. And I absolutely agree. It's something every physician uh, should be aware of is their ability to support families is really incredible. And um, it's just, you know, not only in health needs, but educational social family needs. It's really a comprehensive program. So absolutely echo the importance of understanding and knowing how to access your local team for that, for sure. And keep in mind that it's not an, a, a formal equality program, meaning that if, a, if it's something that's more than normally provided to other children in your region, it can still be provided to a First Nations child owing to the higher needs related to colonialism. So it's a substantive equality principle. So if you think that this is needed for the child's best interest, even if it's not available to other children, it may well be eligible for funding under Jordan's principle. Yeah, absolutely. And that's been my own experience as well. We've been able to get all sorts of things to support kids and families. And it's been really uh, an amazing program that's been, I'd say, transformative for many people's lives, for sure. Oh, I think it has. Absolutely. And yeah. and the thing that you know, we're finding in the data is that most of the requests are low dollar value amounts, but high value for families, right? Um, it's amazing what a little bit of uh, extra money to provide, for example, formula for children can be or to build a a safe place uh, for children with autism to play or interact with family. All those things are possible. 
Yeah, absolutely. And the other space I've really seen is is families getting support to do more things as families, uh, engaging in more on the land and cultural activities, sporting activities for kids that have helped build their self-esteem and given them a safe place to be on the weekends, um, interacting with other kids, you know, things that aren't necessarily typical things we do as physicians, but are foundational to actually being healthy and being in a healthy family. So it is great to be able to think outside the box a bit and, and find support for those types of programs that are really, really important. I'm going to move on now to the next question. I, I know one of your roles is that you're the executive director at First Nations Child and Family Caring Society of Canada. Can you tell us a little bit about that role and, and that organization? So the Caring Society, which is what we call ourselves for short, uh, we're a national organization that provides uh, services and supports to promote culturally based equity for First Nations kids. And we have all kinds of ways, by the way, that even in your off hours as physicians, like with your families, that you can actually become involved in learning about the TRC calls to action. We have a spirit bear version, which is our bear uh, mascot for children on the TRC calls to action. Ways to, uh, you and your family, your uh, hospital, your clinic, you as a physician, can get engaged in implementing them every day of the month through a calendar. We do animations. We have an animation called Spirit Bear and Children Make History that tells a true story of Jordan's principle and how it came to be through litigation at the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal. So we do all that kind of stuff as well as publishing a journal, uh, making information uh, sheets available on a whole array of equity issues like Jordan's principle. And then on the other side, we actually uh, will litigate against Canada and are litigating against Canada in partnership with First Nations and First Nations governments to really cross a line uh, and finally end all of the systemic discrimination and the provision of public services. So uh, that's another key role that we play. And we do a lot of uh, public education. You might see myself and Spirit Bear or amazing members of our team out there across the country educating Canadians about the types of structural inequalities that exist. Where do they come from? How can we all be a part of dealing with them? And we have actually seven free ways to make a difference in under two minutes, which allows any person in the country, regardless of income, to be part of the reconciliation movement in a meaningful way. That's fantastic. I've absolutely seen your work with the Spirit Bear program. And it's it's amazing that you guys have been able to break it down into so many different ways that different Canadians can engage um, and, and be part of, of this process. That's incredible. We've talked a bit already about Jordan's principle, and I know that you've been part of creating the conditions to implement it. I'm wondering if you can share with our listeners a little bit more of the background story of Jordan you know, who he was, how Jordan's principle came to be. Um, and, and we've talked a bit about how it's there to support Indigenous children and families, but I'd love to hear from you maybe, you know, if you have any stories you want to share of families where you've seen it make an impact or difference for them. Well, Jordan's principle is named after Jordan River Anderson from Norway House Cree Nation. And he was being cared for in the Health Sciences Centre Hospital in Winnipeg uh, since his birth. And at the age of two, his doctor said he could go and live in a family home nearby the hospital and with the hope that he would then stabilize then and then be able to return to Norway House. If he was non-Indigenous, that's exactly what would have happened and the province of Manitoba would have picked up the cost. But because he was First Nations, Manitoba said Canada should pay for it. And then Canada, different departments within it, that they would argue between themselves about who should pay for it. End result is 
No one paid for uh, Jordan to be able to stay in the family home. And instead, he was left in hospital for over two and a half years. His sister, Jerlene Sullivan, said in the end, Jordan died of a broken heart. Shortly before his fifth birthday, he slips into a a coma in a hospital and he passes away at the age of five. His family wanted to make sure that no other First Nations child went through this type of craziness, where you have governments arguing over the provision of health, education and social support simply because of child's First Nations. So they created Jordan's Principle, which is about ensuring that First Nations kids have access to the services they need when they need them. And it passed through the House of Commons unanimously in 2007, but Canada didn't implement it. And it would take another uh, 11 years of litigation to force Canada into implementing it. Since 2018, we really had about 2 million services and products provided through Jordan's principle. And some of those stories are really just transformative. For example... We had families during the time when Canada was not implementing Jordan's principle, whose children were in palliative care and would require things like feeding tubes. Canada would uh, actually arbitrarily cap the number of feeding tubes that child could have. So we've had um, documented stories of parents having to choose whether they're going to rewash the feeding tubes or do they not feed their child and just wait until they're eligible for the next batch from the government. That type of thing is no longer happening, thanks to Jordan's principle. We've had families, for example, that'll have multiple children with autism, that before the only option that they would have had to get their child services was to place them into care. And now they're getting supports for the children in their family home. And the children are not only achieving benchmarks that they, the family wouldn't have otherwise imagined, but they're doing that together as a family. So Jordan's principle is making a huge difference but we're not at a place of full compliance yet. Although we see some good implementation in regions like the Yukon, there are other areas of the country where Canada's implementation of Jordan's principle is not as strong. And that's particularly true in urgent cases. So if you're in your professional judgment, if you think if a child may suffer some irremedial harm in the next 12 hours, if they don't get the support, Uh, or the service you're recommending, make sure you note that it's an urgent case to the Department of of Indigenous Services, and that requires them to determine that case within 12 hours, and it includes children in palliative care. So we've transformed many lives, but we still haven't met um, what the law requires of the government of Canada yet. We need to all work on that. Yeah, absolutely. It's an incredible story, really, Jordan and his impact for children, but also just amazing to know some of these things you've shared. And I see this in my practice as well, just as you said, how just ridiculous it is what some people have to go through. um, And these arbitrary limitations and structural inequities that really profoundly impact people's health and quality of life and and just the battle that's had to ensue uh, to try to change that. I I think many Canadians would be shocked. um, But I think it's so important to share these stories so people realize uh, the importance and just how much work is still left to do to to really bring about the the change that's needed. Yeah, a lot of people think universal medical care is the same for everybody. But uh, First Nations people are treated differently. And to learn more about it, you can actually go on to the National Film Board website and watch a documentary by Ellen Nisa Bomsawin called Jordan River Anderson, The Messenger. And you'll get to see uh, Jordan and meet his family and uh, see the struggle that is taken to get to the place where we are right now. 
Yeah, absolutely. I've had the chance to watch that documentary and actually meet Jordan's uh, family in the Yukon. And it's really inspiring uh, story and, and incredible, really what's happening there. But I absolutely agree with you. I think that's one of the many myths in Canada is that universal healthcare is universal. And, and we know that it's not for many reasons. You, of course, have worked for decades now as a tireless champion in addressing inequalities faced by Indigenous children and families, and I can only imagine how frustrating it's been at times, just even some of the, what you've shared with us this morning. What keeps you motivated and, and able to keep pushing through? The kids. It's a very simple answer. And I always thought, you know, even in the earliest days when we were uh, documenting the inequalities with Canada and putting forward solutions to them, and they were choosing not to do them, uh, and we had to turn to litigation. And we never knew if we would be successful. And this is truly a collective effort. Like We never knew if we were going to be successful. But the minimum standard I wanted to set down is to show these kids that we love them enough to keep on fighting with them and for them and never to give up on them. And that has been the kind of standard that I've tried to hold myself to and to do that fight in a way that brings honor to them. You know, the children have taught me through the ways they do advocacy that effective advocacy is not really based on anger and tears. It's based on love. And that's, uh, you know, today I think is Martin Luther King Day. And that was the same kind of approach he took is if you're going to really confront injustice, you have to do it from a place of love, light, and dignity. That's a beautiful thought and so important, I think, for all of us to to reflect on, right? Your why, what keeps you going. Um, and one of the beautiful things about working with children is children are inspiring, and I'm always amazed at their resiliency um, and their their love and acceptance and, and just the light they bring to their communities. It's, it's a very uh, wonderful aspect of being in pediatrics, for sure. Yeah, they all know about fairness, right? Like that's what the great thing about kids is they, they they understand fairness very quickly. And so they've actually been in our work, real key allies. Children are often more likely to write a letter to a to a, a elected official because their neighbors in a First Nations community don't have clean water than some of the adult population are because they have this intrinsic understanding of fairness and because thankfully... Now they're being taught about residential schools and other types of structural inequalities in the schools. So they understand that this isn't fair and there's something they can do about it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's amazing to see that right in this next generation of children and youth. And I, that gives me a lot of hope for reconciliation as well. And I see that with my own children who are learning about that in school. And, and I absolutely agree with you. I think they engage with social justice differently because they have the facts and the information. Um, and it's not, it's not something they can just turn away from. Cindy, thank you so much for sharing your incredible insights with us today. Um, but before I let you go, we have a few final rapid fire questions. Um, so no right or wrong answers. We just want to hear what comes to mind. So are you ready for that? I think so. Let's give it a shot. Okay. So who has had the biggest influence on your career and why? Hmm, I'd say the children. Um, they taught me how to do advocacy on the basis of that love. And they taught me uh, persistence and they taught me um, how to uh, conduct myself with dignity. Um, you just need to watch um, 
another Alanisa Obamsa one documentary called We Can't Make the Same Mistake Twice, where you'll see the children actually in the courtroom uh, watching what was going on in this litigation for Jordan's principle on equity and child and family services. They have been a huge inspiration and huge teacher to me. That's wonderful. What is one thing you feel deeply grateful for right now? The fact that I lived long enough to see some of these changes, particularly over this last five years, to see families actually benefiting from the gift of Jordan's family, of Jordan's principal, uh, to start to see for the first time ever First Nations communities having uh, the financial resources uh, that they need to be able to begin uh, putting in place the, the services to keep families together instead of separating them. Um, I feel really, really grateful to be a part of this moment and to see the young people who are coming up behind me that will continue this um, attention of addressing the structural inequalities that uh, still remain out there. Absolutely. What is the number one thing we need to consider right now to move children's health care forward in a positive direction? I'd say this is a generalization, is that the biggest structural uh, problems that contribute to poor health outcomes amongst different groups of children uh, persist because we're not good at implementing the solutions that are already on the books. So often in academia and other things, we're, we're calibrated towards generating answers and thinking that that's enough. What we really need to do in social work and in healthcare uh, is actually train people on how to uh, move forward and implement evidence informed solutions even when governments and other structures are saying no. And that means partnering with our colleagues in law and other areas to make sure that change really happens on the ground. Yeah, I love that as a final thought. It's really about action, not just talking. Um, and you are a wonderful example of someone who's taken all your knowledge and skills, created those teams and really implemented transformative policies that are impacting families every day. So Cindy, thank you. First of all, I want to thank you so much for your work and inspiring so many people, including myself, um, and, and just for everything you've done to really create a playing field now where we have tools we can use to help and, and, and implement things that make a difference for First Nations children. Um, and we know so much of that is because of you and, and your endless advocacy and work. So I want to thank you for that. And, and thank you also for sharing your time today. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you. Uh, thank you so much. And everybody, you can see all kinds of free resources on fncaringsociety.com. That's fncaringsociety.com. And you'll also find those seven free ways to make a difference in under two minutes. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you. So everyone, stay safe and be well. To stay up to date on all our Spark offerings, including upcoming podcast episodes, visit our website at childrenshealthcarecanada.ca and subscribe to Spark News Weekly e-bulletin if you haven't already. Thanks for listening to Spark Conversations. And before we go, show some love for your new podcast series by leaving us a review and then join us again next month. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.